Chapter 7, Part 2 of Sin and Its Consequences by Henry Edward Manning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7 The Dereliction on the Cross. Part 2. And then, lastly, there was the greatest sorrow of the Son of God, the consciousness that in that hour the great sin of the world had been accomplished that man had laid hands upon god that after thousands of years of sin and of rebellion he had overtaken him at last the divine presence being out of the reach of man god had become incarnate at last god was made man and god came into the midst of men god was within the reach of the arms of men and they laid hands upon him, they scourged him, they blasphemed him, and they put him to death. The world murdered its own maker, and sinners slew their own redeemer. The world shed the blood of God, it stained itself, and imprecated upon itself the blood of the divine innocent. He foresaw in that hour the multitude of souls, that notwithstanding the shedding of his precious blood would never be saved the redeemed souls who shall go down alive into hell souls in multitudes who should never hear his name and would yet sin against him souls in multitudes still worse who having heard his name would still sin against him souls on whom he had poured out the grace of his holy spirit and who nevertheless would do despite to him and perish impenitent and go down like the leaves in autumn countless in their multitude into eternal death all these sorrows these mental sorrows which in prophecy were before him all his lifetime rose at last to their fullness and inundated the sacred heart in the hour of his passion but there is still one more part of this suffering he might well say on the cross my friends my friends why have you forsaken me but his true desolation was this that he had to cry my god my god why hast thou forsaken me that men forsake me is no wonder i know what is in man but that thou shouldst forsake me why is it now brethren we come to what i said in the beginning is a divine depth of mystery round about which indeed we may walk in adoration into which we shall never be able to descend still there is somewhat of this mystery that we can understand first of all let us understand what that sorrow was not it was not a separation of the son from the father the father and the son and the holy ghost are one god consubstantial the uncreated the infinite the ever-blessed therefore it was nothing whatsoever of separation of the son from the father or of the father from the son again the Godhead and the humanity in the one person of Jesus Christ, from the moment of the Incarnation, by hypostatic union, 
that is by union in one personality are indissolubly united to all eternity and therefore those words did not import to imply a shadow of separation between the godhead and the manhood of jesus christ what then do they signify just as in the agony in the garden the light and the sweetness and the consolation of his godhead were voluntarily withdrawn from the suffering of his manhood because he had chosen for our sakes to let in the full tide and flood of sorrow to fill his sacred heart so upon the cross we know what follows after our sins what darkness and desolation come upon us but this comes from our corruption from our rebellion from the sin that is in us the son of god the holy one had our humanity but in that humanity there was no disorder no corruption no spot of sin for he had deified our humanity and therefore all that he suffered was by a voluntary act of his own willingly withdrawing for a time the sweetness and the light and the consolation of his heavenly father from the first moment of the incarnation as you know the human soul of jesus was in the beatific vision it saw god it loved god with his whole heart and it worshipped god with his whole soul and while he was on earth a wayfarer he was already in the possession and fruition of the beatific vision but in the agony in the garden and in the three hours upon the cross he voluntarily withdrew as it were the light and sweetness which he always had by right as god and by merit as man he allowed a veil a cloud as the darkness covered the sun at that hour to spread over his soul he allowed a darkness to be drawn between the sweetness and the light of his godhead and his human soul and why was this it was for our sakes it was voluntary as his incarnation as his temptation as his agony as his death he was offered up because he willed it he was troubled in the garden because he willed it he was desolate upon the cross because he willed it it was his own voluntary act and that for our sakes it was not only voluntary it was also vicarious it was suffered in our stead and why because the penalty of our sin is separation from god because separation from god is eternal death because the loss of god is hell because the penalty of sin is the loss of god because even after death those who are saved unless they be perfectly expiated will be detained from the vision of god because in this life every sin we commit is followed by a shadow and that shadow is darkness and that darkness is a part of desolation and because we are under this law 
holy just and good by which every sin is followed by the penalty of desolation he who to expiate all our sins and pains voluntarily and vicariously suffered all that his sinless and divine soul could suffer permitted himself in that moment of his agony to be deprived of the sweetness and consolation and light even of his own godhead the inferior part of his humanity which suffered like as ours was in the dust of death in the sorrows of this world and in the desolation of the hiding of his father's face and now why was this first as i have said to make expiation it was to expiate our sin and our pains to save us from that and from worse he endured it for our sakes and he endured it that he might reveal his love he had revealed his love by every manifestation by works of mercy by healing lepers by giving sight to the blind by raising the dead by absolving the penitent he had spoken words of grace such as never came out of the lips of man words which were more than the words of man and if men had had hearts to understand they would have known them to be words of a divine person but these things were not enough they did not even yet persuade us of the great mystery of his love he had need of another language of other words of something more articulate something more convincing something more persuasive and what could that be sorrow unto death penalty even to the extreme verge of what is possible for the son of god to suffer and therefore he chose voluntarily and vicariously to endure all things that his divine soul could endure for our sakes to convince us if possible of his love if possible to make us believe how much he loves us if possible to prevail over the hardness of our hearts that we at last may be convinced and persuaded of the exceeding love of our divine redeemer and all this to make us trust his love that by love he may win our love again he knew that it is not by command that we can be made to love him it is not by reasoning that the love of god is awakened in the heart it is not by any means whatsoever save only by the manifestation of love as we knowing among ourselves it is love that awakens love it is friendship that kindles friendship it is the sensible manifestation of kindness and of tenderness of heart of disinterested and self-denying love it is this that awakens us to love again so it is towards him and he therefore endured all things first to persuade us to trust in his love the great sin of the world is that it does not trust in the love of god it is your great sin 
it is the cause of all your sins you never could sin against god if you had the feeling of his love to you you never could venture you could not endure to do it if you felt the love of god to you personally as you feel the warmth of the noonday sun it would be impossible with the knowledge of your heart to sin against him it would be morally impossible it would be the violation of your new nature he said greater love hath no man than this than a man give his life for his friends john chapter fifteen verse thirteen he has given his life for you what can he say to you what could he do for you if this will not persuade you is it in the power of the word of god to convince you of the love of jesus christ if his agony on the cross is not enough therefore he is all day long saying these words to you o oh, my friends it was for you i was crucified o oh, my beloved it is you i have loved even unto death o oh, my children for you i shed my precious blood what more could i have done for you than that which i have done what more could i have given than that which i have given what more could i suffer for you than that which i have already suffered but you will not come unto me that you may have life you will not believe my love how often would i have gathered you under the shadow of my cross how often would i have covered you with the hem of my garment for i have sought after you to try and bring you within my own sacred heart but ye would not he has been burning with love to us and we have stood at a distance cold and unmoved he says to us from the cross what more could i do what more could i give what more could i suffer if there were anything i could suffer i would suffer it still if it were necessary to die again for you to save you i would die again if it were possible to suffer more it should be suffered and what is your answer i do not mean in words i mean in deeds he says to us i have loved you not in word but in deed I have loved you not in professions, but in passion and death. I have loved you not in such protestations as Peter made to me, but by a reality which no man can deny, no man can fail to understand. I suffered death upon the cross for you. I was forsaken even of my Father, and that for your sakes. Here then, dear brethren, we have the meaning in some little measure the mere outline of this dereliction of our divine lord it consisted in the unrelieved agonies of the body in the unconsoled sorrows of his sacred heart and lastly in that mysterious taste of darkness and desolation in the withdrawal of the light and the sweetness of the countenance of god even in the hour of his death now why was this when we are in sorrow and in trouble of mind when pains of body sharp sicknesses unkindness ingratitude 
the forsaking of friends, the bitterness of life, when dryness of heart, darkness of soul, when these things come upon us, we have no need to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We know why, or we might know and we ought to know in one moment. It is no mystery why we should be forsaken. Look back on your mortal sins in childhood and boyhood and youth and manhood and the mortal sins that you remember and the mortal sins you have forgotten and the mortal sins that you have not repented as you ought even to this day. We have no reason to ask, Why hast thou forsaken me? Look back upon the cloud of venial sins which through long years you have been committing, sins of self-love, sins of vanity, sins of sloth, sins of ingratitude, sins of neglect of God, sins of hardness of heart with the crucifix before your eyes, sins of coldness even in the presence of the blessed sacrament. Look at that cloud of venial sins which comes down and lowers over you, perhaps, every day of your lives. We have no need to ask, Why hast thou forsaken me? Once more, the sins of omission that you commit, the duties that you so readily leave undone, the acts of love and fidelity to our divine Master, which with such lukewarmness you offer to him, the great want of generosity in all your life, the want of love responding to his love and tenderness to his tenderness. Surely these things explain why our hearts should be cold and dark and our prayers dry and why we should be buffeted with temptation and why we should find no solace. We have no difficulty in understanding this. Nay, more, Look at our instabilities. What a life is ours. We serve God by fits and starts. We have cold fits and hot fits, like men in an ague, like those that are struck by fever. Sometimes we are in earnest, sometimes we give up. We are carried away by gusts of temptation. A frown of the world will kill off all our good resolutions. Such is our life, perpetually tossed to and fro like waves of the sea. Where is our stability? And if we are unstable, why is it? Because we do not love. A friend that loves a friend does not vary in his friendship. The variations of friendship show how shallow and how reckless our love is. And lastly, I say reckless. And by reckless I mean this, that we live all the day long as if Christ had never died for us. Dear brethren, ask yourselves what one thing is there that you left undone yesterday for the recollection of the passion of Jesus Christ. For I hope you were then remembering the day of his agony in the garden. You remember that we were yesterday on the eve of the day of his crucifixion. We are in Holy Week and the midst of the thoughts of the passion of Jesus Christ. Is it the chief thought in your hearts? What did all this do for you yesterday? 
or what one thing did you do or leave undone for the love of our lord in his passion and if this be so we have no reason to wonder that we have sorrows pains chastisements rods visitations desolations we lose the light of our father's countenance the sweetness and the consolation which we had once it may be are gone we have them no longer but the fault is our own well now let us learn for what end and purpose this is if jesus christ did not love us he would leave us to sin and to prosper he would leave us to go on as we are and to enjoy the world these are the words of god whom the lord loveth he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth proverbs three verse twelve hebrews chapter twelve verse six if you be without chastisement whereof all are partakers then are you no true sons of god the sign and the token of the love of our divine lord is when he takes the thorns of his crown and puts them into our head and the nails of his crucifixion and runs them into our hands and feet the feet which we have used to do evil and to walk in ways contrary to his will them he crucifies and the hands that have been busy in vanity and folly and worldliness and worse on them in his love he will imprint the marks of his own crucifixion and upon the heart that has been unfaithful to him that has been wandering selfish careless self-indulgent he impresses the tokens of his passion by crosses sicknesses visitations bereavements afflictions chastisements and rods by those sacred spiritual visitations of desolation and of dryness by these he wakens us up to know him to see that we are offending against him and that the penal consequences of our sins and faults have found us out he permits them to come upon us and permits them in pity for our sanctification he knows that without them we cannot be saved he knows that without them we should sin and prosper that we should go on in our worldly way and should never see god and therefore he uses these things with a manifold wisdom with an exceeding tenderness he uses them first to check us and if need be to strike us down a sinner in the guilt of his sin is struck down sometimes like saul on the way to damascus a light from heaven which no eye but his can see and he alone can recognize strikes him down with the consciousness of himself so that when he rises up he is blind to the world and his eyes are opened upon his own state his own peril and his own guilt it is in times of affliction sorrow sickness anxiety and pain of heart and mind and in these last above all that this loving stroke of our divine saviour's hand is felt 
he sends or permits these desolations and sorrows to chastise us to make us recollect what it is we have done i dare say you all know what it is to feel sad and cast down and to say i do not know why it is i know there is some cause and i know i felt it and i knew it at the moment but i cannot remember now what it is that has brought me this sadness after a little pause of thought we trace out the real reason we remember what it was we have found how justly he has dealt with us and this chastisement gives us a self-knowledge without which there is little contrition moreover it is by these trials that he puts to test the love that we profess to him it is a poor love which is warm only in the sunshine it is a mean love of god which does not burn even under a cross if we only serve god because it is sweet if we only turn from sin because we are afraid of hell if our motives for doing right are that we have a servile fear of doing wrong we are mercenaries and hirelings we are unworthy of the pure and generous love of jesus christ he the sinless son of god endured all things for us not for his own sake but solely and purely for ours and we serve him only for our own it is by these penal consequences of our sins that he tests our love and purifies it that he cleanses it of self-love self-indulgence and of all that dwelling upon self of wounded self of that pity of ourselves springing from the self-love of our heart which towards god is i will not say dead but that it has little pulse and little warmth within it lastly whatever sorrows you have of the body of the mind or of the soul these are intended to produce in you one thing above all that is compunction compunction means sorrow for sin springing from the love of the five sacred wounds which jesus suffered in our behalf attrition as you know means the sorrow of the heart that is bruised contrition the sorrow of the heart that is broken compunction the sorrow of the heart that is pierced with jesus christ until we have come to the foot of the cross and have contemplated the five wounds of our divine saviour and the love of the sacred heart through his side opened by the lance and until we have entered into his love and sorrowed because of that love and because of our own want of love and because of our own ingratitude our sorrow is not worthy of the name of compunction he is perfecting in you this generous sorrow if you are suffering pains of body unite them with the sufferings of jesus christ upon his cross if you have mental pains sorrows of mind trials of your family ingratitude of friends disobedience of children the loss of those dear to you whatsoever it be unite them with the mental sorrows of jesus dying upon the cross 
if you are suffering spiritual dryness and darkness and desolation and distance from god as you think unite them with his dereliction do not say my god my god why hast thou forsaken me say my god my god i know well how i deserve this desolation i know well how all my life has merited that i should be forsaken but my hope is in thy love which has never forsaken those that trust in thee therefore dear brethren sum up all i have said and sum it up in these two ways first of all choose of your own will gladly and willingly a lot of sorrow and of the cross in this world rather than a lot that is bright and fair if they were both before you held out in the hands of our divine saviour the one lot of his cross the other the happiness of this world remember what was set before him in the mountain all these things will i give thee if thou falling down wilt adore me matthew chapter four verse nine put the world aside we cannot serve two masters it is better to choose the lot that he chose for himself to be made like to him even in his cross it is more safe for us because it is more generous towards him next if we have not the heart and courage to choose this for his sake let us bless him if contrary to our will he choose it for us if he sends us this very lot from which we shrink then let us bless the wise and loving physician who seeing that we are cowardly that we have neither nerve nor firmness to take the knife to lay the wound open and that the wound if it fester will bring death let us bless him that he in his love and tenderness has chosen the lot of the cross for us has given it to us and that we have no choice to make but to accept it to press it to our heart to love it for his sake and to pray to him to give us grace to bear it we have offended against him by every member of the body by every faculty of the mind by every passion of the heart by every affection of the soul and upon the cross in his bodily pain and in his mental sorrow and in his spiritual desolation he made a perfect and complete expiation for all our sins they are all expiated and in his precious blood they will all be washed away on one condition that we are made like to him and if we can be made like to him only by being crucified then let us be crucified a will at variance with his will is sin and eternal death a will crucified with his will is holiness and eternal life let us pray him then to do his own work in us let us say to him lord thou wast crucified for me crucify me with thyself i cannot save myself thou only canst save me save me lest i perish eternally pray him to crucify the living will 
which is within you. For they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and concupiscences. This is the token of a Christian. Pray him to do it until you can say these three words, God forbid I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, whereby the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Galatians chapter 4 verse 14 And again, with Christ I am nailed to the cross, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself to death for me. Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Let us say to him every day, Lord, whether I live, let me live unto thee, and whether I die, let me die unto thee that living and dying I may be thine. Romans chapter 14, verse 8. End of chapter 7, part 2.